Welcome to episode two of the No Blueprint series featuring Kenny Starr, singer, songwriter, Juno nominator, and so much more. Kenny, I'm more than excited to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. And I don't know if you recall, but the first time we connected was because of Wawate. And I was on a a tour. Um, You know, we're just uh, showcasing our different talents. And uh, that was with the Indigenous Peoples Art Alliance, actually. Um, So they do great work. Shout out to them. But I was asking him uh, in regards to like who I can connect with for female producers in the game because I'm trying to create a matriarch album. So that was the first time I actually reached out to you. I was wondering where we like where our first connection was. Yeah, Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Full disclosure. Yeah, I um I was watching the L Word series on Net- on uh, Crave, and let me tell you though, I watched it not because I was trying to see some explicit content. Honestly, yeah, sure. I was watching it because I was truly invested in trying to learn more about you know women and how they yeah. interact in relationships. What do they look for in a relationship? Yeah, what's a healthy relationship from a female perspective? So I was really curious, and so I watched a couple episodes, and I was hooked. Yeah, and watching and watching. When I saw you, and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> Kitty, so I was even more impressed." I'm like, "Wow!" So I definitely reached out, and uh, so thank you for engaging. You know, I think yeah, you're welcome. Cool. You know, it's interesting. The L word. Um, the reason why my music is in the L word is because the music supervisor, uh, Natasha Dupre, she's an amazing woman and she has always um, looked for strong Canadian talent and especially women. And there was something that happened during the end of production on that first season. And I don't know all the details of it, but the composer that they had hired, um, something fell through. And so they were in a scramble to look for music And my record was in high priority listening among their crew. And they just put, they just plugged a bunch of songs in. Amazing. Which is kind of like, you know, it's cool to, like when I learned, I only learned that like uh, recently in the last few years, like I always wondered how did my music get into that show? Like, I mean, you know, from a business perspective that some deals were made, but personally, I didn't know why I got chosen. Wow. And so the important thing about this is that, you know, at first I thought I was like, oh, maybe it's because I'm good, but it was actually not to say that I'm not good at what I do, but it was largely synergy. And I think that that is something that is like such an amazing thing to realize is is like uh, a lot of things are have nothing to do with us. Right. My music fit the story, which fit the time, which fit the moment. Amazing. Right. That word is incredible. And I think to relate to you and what you're saying right now, this to Mm -hmm. me is energy and, you know, in the sense of connecting with you and being able to have this podcast. So for you to talk about synergy and how you got onto the L word, yeah. That's so incredible as a perspective. Mm. You know what I mean? That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's a thing that a lot of artists forget is like mm. we we always feel like we have to push. And there's a lot of language around like 
yo, the struggle is real, like the hustle, the grind, all of that. But it's like, mm, right. a, a lot of times it's like things will fall where they fall, right? Because it's important. And like at the very, very beginning of my career, I asked Veda Hilly, who is a monster of a piano player that she is so gifted. And uh, she was already like an established artist in Vancouver. And I was like, I was like, what do it like, what do I do? And she was like, oh, Kimmy Star, like, she's like, yeah, you're, you, you know, you got some goods, right? Like, and I was like, well, fuck, thanks, man. But what do I do? And she said, you just do it. What? And I was like, what? There's like, <laughs> don't you have any like wisdom? And she was just like, there's no answers, man. Like, you wow. just have to work. Straight up. Uh-huh. Yo, work ethic is real in the game. Yeah, it's real. You know? Yeah. Um, I love that topic of synergy, by the way. So thank you for sharing that. Uh-huh. And I think before we dive too deep, I want to make sure that I pay the proper respects. I want to, you know, mm. thank the creator for this synergy moment for us sure. here. You know, I really uh, appreciate that. And for the creator to guide us on this journey and to connect with so many incredible people, I want to make sure mm. that I thank the creator first and foremost. I also want to, you know, pay homage that I live on the Algonquin traditional territory. Mm. So I want to make sure I pay homage to the land where I reside. And I want to mm. also thank our audience, you know, for them taking their time to tune in, to listen to us. It's a great yeah. opportunity to learn because the intentions of what we're doing here is to help humanize, you know, whatever industry people are in, you know, I think it's really important to understand that everybody always sees the end result. Yeah. I think this is a great opportunity to kind of peek behind the curtain and see like, what's the truth behind all of it. So I wanted to just, you know, thank everybody for joining. Thank you, especially for, you know, creating, um, being part of this no blueprint and taking your time out of your busy day. I I just want to make sure you understand my gratitude is real. Thank you. You too. You know, because I've, um, I've been in this game for a long time, but I'm not a big extrovert and I'm not super good at self-promotion. And so I do appreciate it when people, especially like from the hip hop culture, Mm. want to reach out because hip hop is important to me, you know, but I don't really, I don't really have the type of like personality to push myself forward. So I appreciate you as well. Respect. Yeah. Um, so how are you, how are you doing through these COVID times? I'm just really checking in with mm-hmm. you personally. Like, how are you doing through these challenging quarantine times in our life? Yeah. Um, today is a pretty good day. We had sun today coming in. Um, at the beginning of it, it was pretty intense because my mom, my family is out in Ontario and my mom, the she had a surgery scheduled at the beginning of quarantine. So she ended up having a surgery and then everything kind of closed in around her. And so she ended up staying at a friend who was out of town's house, but she couldn't get on her leg. And so it was really serious. She had like a, it was really serious for a few weeks and it's calm now. But those weeks made me very sick. And we also had, we had our, my brother died a year and a half ago of a fentanyl overdose. So we were coming up to his birthday too, which always sends our family kind of rolling down a hill of like dysfunctional behavior because we don't know how to deal with it. So today is a good day. Not every day has been a good day. Wow. 
that's just real. I mean, I could pretend and put on a great smile, but that's real. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, you're bringing up an important topic, which is mental health. Yes. You know, I think mental health is very important, especially when you're in the music industry, whatever industry and acting, whatever it might be. I think that mental health is something that always gets overseen and doesn't get enough attention. Yeah. So how do you navigate um, practicing, you know, healthy mental practices? How do you keep balance through busy times in your career? Yeah. um, I I really like the fact that you're in your, your whole blueprint for your webinar that you're discussing that. And because I think that a lot of uh, artists, we, I mean, when you're in the arts, it's kind of this weird dichotomy where people want to be famous. So they, if you have any degree of success, you're perceived as not always, but you can be perceived as someone who has something that the other person wants. Mm. But then when, when you're successful, on the other side of it, you're working hard and tired. So it's like you have this, if you're, I'm a person who is like pretty, I notice everything around me. So I often feel pulled between the two worlds where it's like, I know that artists, I know a lot of people want to be quote unquote famous, Mm -hmm. but I know that art is work and spiritual work primarily. So it's like, it's a weird thing where it's like you balance um, the, like the mental wellness is like a balance between the Uh, jealousy and resentment Mm. from other people or straight up hatred and the love and beauty in in the craft and in our communities so it's this weird thing so what I try to do to to balance those opposites is one of my golden rules is I always go outside in a day it doesn't matter where I am, even if I'm like just landed in, like I'm, if I'm overseas and I have nowhere, no idea where I am, I'm still going to like go down into the elevator or the stairs or wherever my hotel and I'm going to walk, nice. walk and walk and walk. Yeah, that's a main thing that I use for, for mental health. And then exercise. I have to exercise. Nice. Even when I was injured, like I was like really injured from a car accident and this, this arm wasn't really working. And I just found so many workarounds to be able to still do stuff. And uh, yeah, so exercise, time outside. And um, I would also say like, I mean, at the risk of sounding flaky, um, like meditation and like spiritual practices where where I take my like audio brain and I push my audio brain way out Mm. to try to hear as many sounds around me as possible. There is nothing flaky about that. Kenny star. Thanks. Meditation is a powerful tool that I think people, you know, oversee the power of meditation. Yeah. So definitely 
I encourage anybody to meditate. You know, I was talking to a, a young person the other day, and that was one of the things we were discussing right off the bat is, you know, through these COVID times, it's a moment where we can rebalance and using meditation to see mm. your future, to kind of be present, you mm. know, to rebalance and reconnect. And I love the perspective you put in the sense of pushing your inner chatter yes. all the way up and out. So maybe you yeah. can hear other messages that have a mm. hard time getting in because you're distracted by all that inner chatter. Yeah. And we're kind of, we're always convinced that like, because of our cell phones and stuff, we're always convinced that everything is urgent. So we're always being pulled into the electronic world because we live online, especially like COVID times. But I feel like that kind of over centralizes my nervous system and kind of puts it in knots. Mm. But when I meditate, cause I've been meditating since, I don't know, since I was a really young person, like I started meditating as a young woman and, and that, type of spaciousness that meditation gives i can't compare it to anything nothing facts yeah and the cool thing about it is you can do it anywhere like it's free too <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it doesn't cost money <laughs> real talk mm -hmm. that, means, that means so much um just to back up a little bit, I love sure. the topic of mental health. I think you're, yeah. just to recap, you know, going out in nature, I think is uh -huh. the first thing you brought up and how important that is. Uh, meditation is very yes. important and exercise. Like that one is also yeah. very underrated. Very. And I can relate to you. I was going through a depressive moment in my life just because of a lot of things that were happening all at the yeah. same time. And yeah. if it wasn't for, you know, working out every day, I don't know how I would have got out of it. Like that mm -hmm. really helped boost my emotional balance, self-esteem. So definitely yeah. working out is important too. And you know, what's weird too, is like, I think that people feel like exercise is vanity. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like, you know, if I'm like presenting as like, I'm a real tough guy, well, fuck, why would I exercise? Because I'm not a vain little fuck. Mm. But it's, you know, like, so I've, I've received that information a lot, like from especially male friends. And they're, they're like, oh, why would you exercise? Like, not everybody's as vain as you. Or some kind of a feeling like that where exercise is for vanity. And it's like, exercise is not for vanity. It, exercise is for circulating the blood through your body so that your brain works and your muscles work. And then, because I have very like, um, my parents are very dysfunctional and they, my, you know, my brothers and I have always been managing my dad's health for a long time. And he, oftentimes he, you have to pick him up. He's fallen, he's, it's, there's some type of problem. And so it, that started about 15 years ago when he, his addictions became unmanageable. And it, it crossed my mind because I was a younger woman at that time. And I was like, if I'm not strong, like, what do I have? Mm. If I'm not physically strong enough to lift my dad when he falls. Yeah. And so that's kind of like how exercise is framed for me. I'm like, even if I'm in, you know, highly injured, which I was for a bunch of years, I'm like, by all means necessary, I want my body to function if possible. 
Right. And if it means I have to exercise every day so that I can pick up my father mm. or somebody else I see, then you're damn right. I'm going to exercise every day. That's fascinating. You're reminding me of um, a time I used to work at Wabano, which is an Aboriginal health center here in Ottawa. Yeah. I was a diversion coordinator working yeah. with young people in conflict with the law, but I, yeah. um, we had a workshop on fitness and they were distinguishing the difference between, you know, a colonized version of fitness mm -hmm. and an indigenized version of fitness. Oh, wow. And an indigenized version of fitness is being fit enough to do what you got to do in a day. Oh, wow. So if you're out hunting and gathering, we're taking us all the way right. back to traditional times. You got to be fit in That's order right. to do those type of things. So just to kind of fast forward, obviously, to our current moment and, and you know, staying focused on what you're talking about. Yeah. You're talking an indigenized version of fitness, making sure you can take care of your family, your father, yeah. and just yes. be able to be healthy enough to take care of what you need to. That's, that's important. So that perspective of fitness yeah. as a form of therapy, as yeah. a form of mental health, I think is worth yes. highlighting. That was well said, Kenny. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I never really would have articulated it as an Indigenous perspective on mm. fitness, but you're absolutely right, it is. Right. Absolutely. Because, yeah. because it's like, it's about functionality and connection with your, your life. Exactly. Right? Your environment. Yeah. You're, and you're exactly. fucking, your loved ones, right? Straight up. Yeah. Love and protect, you know, all those yeah. traits. Mm -hmm. So, um, tell us a little bit about where you're from, actually, Kenny. Let's back up. Yeah. A where were you? Where were you born? Where are you from? I'm born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a shameful thing. Like a lot of people feel like oil towns are. I don't know. I feel like I feel like like Calgary and Edmonton get a really bad rap in general but my parents like my parents left Ontario both of my my family is like Irish Dutch German French uh Russian um my family's been in Ontario for a long time and my parents relocated to Calgary because at that time Calgary was a different city than it is now and we, I had a good childhood there. Like we were outside a lot. There was a lot of hilly community. Like a, there's the rivers that run through Calgary. So I sometimes get embarrassed when I say I'm from Calgary, but that's because people think that it, that it, the way it is now is how it always was, but it wasn't always like that. Like people from Calgary in the seventies and eighties would say, and sixties and further back, like before I was born would say, I think they would have a very different view on the city than, you know, what it is now. I, I don't even recognize the city when I go back, but yeah, that's where I was born and raised. And my parents relocated there because they wanted to get away from Ontario society. Mm. So your yeah. parents are from Ontario? Like where are your parents from? My parents are from Hamilton and Toronto respectively. Yeah. I'm not from a res or anything like that. I'm like mm -hmm. raised very white and, um, I was raised like my dad is a criminal defense lawyer and my mom, my mom did uh, education reform. Actually, <laughs> she is actually, she is actually the person who created it's called lifetime activities. Okay. And she um, was an innovator in education reform in Alberta. And she put a program into place that allowed students to um on the second half of friday 
they got to do life skills. So you could do like anything you wanted. Like you could study like uh, science fiction. Like I was like totally into science fiction and chess, uh, budgeting. And she implemented these programs into the Alberta education system. And they were, they were manifested out and used widely uh, through Alberta, Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Wow. That was my mom. Damn. Okay. Yeah. And what school did you go to growing up? Um, I went to, as a little kid, I went to, um, I'm just going to try and remember the name of the school, uh, McDougal. Cool. Yeah. And then Elbow Park and then Western Canada, which was the big high school in the center of Calgary. So, yeah. What is is one of your favorite early childhood memories? (sighs) Yeah, favorite early childhood memories related to Calgary? Related to anything in your life. Um, Like just a favorite that might come to mind. One of the first thoughts. that I I would say the first thing that came to my mind for favorite childhood memories would be uh, learning to ride horses. And um, my parents had a friend named Mark Cowpersmith. And that guy... I've even got a picture of I'm on the back of the horse and that guy, I loved him. He was a guitar player. Looking back on it now as an adult, I'm pretty sure he like imprinted me and kind of made me interested in songwriting because I remember they took me to one of his gigs and I was like, wow, because I didn't grow up in an arts family. And I think I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. Like guitar and voice. And then he also rode horses and and um, some best friends of my parents were also uh, horse people. And obviously Calgary is like Blackfoot territory and there's like the Lubicon nation is near the Morley people. Like, so horses were a huge part of, I mean, my life, but also like, I would say the culture of the prairies. Mm, and, nice. but yeah, I would say riding. Nice. Yeah, I've got quite a few amazing, amazing memories of riding horses from being a child. Incredible. Yeah. I don't have any. I had allergies as a young man. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I remember like being on the rest. So my, my first nation's in Saskatchewan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we have a lot of horses on the rest. And yeah, yeah. Put me on a horse. She wanted to try it out. And I just, my allergies just <laughs> flared up. And it was just a horrible experience for me. But I love animals. I love horses. So. Uh, appreciate you sharing that that's really cool yeah you know what my brother my older brother hates horses he was like once on a horse where the he didn't put the saddle on properly and so the saddle started to slide and so he didn't leave the horse and the saddle slid and he stayed on the horse so he 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 does not like horses (laughs) wow how many um relatives do you have in your immediate family um, well, I had to, I, I was a family of three and my little brother died and I, there was a little girl too that died when I was very little. Um, so we were four and then we lost my brother recently. So now it's just me and my big brother now. Wow. Yeah. Well, appreciate you sharing that. Cause that's, I mean, family losses is, is a challenge, you know, that's a difficult one. And it's the hugest thing I've ever been through. And I thought that I had been through the hardest times of my life when Chris died, but mm. I learned that it was going to get harder. So I, um, I have a, 
a wide audience of young people, mm. uh, specifically young people who deal with, you know, death yeah. in their yes. communities. Is there anything you might want to share just from your own personal experience and how you've been able to find your balance through oh. some of those challenging times? Well, I mean, I feel like, I feel like the opioid crisis has been buried beneath the whole COVID immediacy. Mm. And I know that the overdose death rate is rising right now because of the healthcare um, problems. And so I feel like a lot of young people and people who are at risk, and I will say that men are highly at risk with suicide. And I know you already know that, but I think that needs to be spoken because I feel like men are very undervalued in society sometimes. And, and I, I just feel like there needs to be more compassion for how men deal with their, their emotions. Mm. And um, because there's no real safe space really for guys to talk about like, Hey, I just, you know, anything that they would be going through. It's like, I mean, I think it's changing, but I, I think that that's why, um, there are so many problems with addiction and related to opioids, related to alcohol, all of it, because I just feel like I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but okay. I feel like for men, it's like, we just need to protect the men around, especially the young men, because it's like when you're, you know, I grew up with brothers and they're, mm. they're there's just not enough there for, mm. so, I mean, at the risk of, I don't want to get too emotional about this, but I can feel it right now, to be honest. Yeah, like I don't want to go down that super sad into that sad place, but but I mean if if your question is do I have any advice for people who are struggling? I would say go outside. Mm. Go outside and I would say don't bring your phone. Mm. Turn your phone off. Your phone is full of information showing you that you're not good enough. And, and we're adults, so it's like we, you know, not that adults aren't at risk, but I can't imagine being a young person in this era, like with Instagram, everybody posting, they're like, cha-ching, bullshit, like, so, yeah, go outside. Appreciate that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, I definitely don't want to go down uh, that path too, just to, you know, bring up all those emotions, but, yes. you know, that's an important thing, like, I'll be completely transparent with you since we're being sure. open. You know, it took a long time for my dad to say, I yeah. love you. Oh boy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. And like growing yeah. up as a kid, that wasn't something I heard from my father. I heard it a yeah. lot from my mother. Uh -huh. I never heard it from my father mm -hmm. and you know, my parents split. And so I went through my own, you know, rock bottom and my own journey of trying to find myself again. Yeah. And if it wasn't for uh, a friend of mine at the time, she gave me this book called uh, the love five love languages. Hmm. I read this book and then it helped me identify where my parents' relationship may have kind of went its separate ways hmm. and helped me identify the difference, which allowed me to 
understand my father a little bit more because Mm -hmm. acts of service is his primary love language. So he doesn't necessarily say I love you verbally or give you a hug or whatever it is, but he'll make sure that you're taken care of dinners, cook, pick you up from soccer, maybe even be a coach. Yeah. Long Mm -hmm. story short, my point is because I was able to identify that, I feel like me within my own family generation, I just started saying to him, okay, dad, cool. Love you at the end of a conversation. And he still wouldn't say it in return, wouldn't say it in return. But one day he just slipped. He was like, yeah, I love you too. And I was like, I got you. you." But it's just in the sense of that emotions, right. And, and communicating. So I think um, you're bringing up some really important topics. And so I appreciate you sharing a lot of that. Yeah. I really like what you just said too. And it's really true. Like my dad just started saying he loves us like very recently it took him his whole his whole life right it's like why you know and but you got to respect like everybody's coming from their own place yes so exactly speaking mm -hmm. of coming from their own place who are some of your your friends that you grew up with Mm. that have are still in your life today that have influenced you in some way oh what a nice question um i would say uh, childhood friends would be my friend Jill Armstrong, and she's really grumpy uh, always. She is. She used to have a, a boxing column. She's a columnist, like writing up boxing, and it was weird because she wasn't actually a boxer, but she loved boxing, and so she was a columnist uh, for boxing for years and years. I, I boxed before um, before I was in a car accident. I haven't quite got back to boxing yet, but I like boxing. And uh, so, yeah, she's hilarious and she, she's always grumpy and now she's, she does stunt coordination. She, she coordinates like, like Jason Momoa was one of her guys that she, and I was like mind blown. I was like, can I meet him? But it never worked out. But anyway, um, she is cool because like, I remember one time a long time ago and she was like, you know what? I don't, I don't actually like anybody. And I was like, wow. I was like, that's pretty deep. She's like, I like books, but I don't really like people. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. And then she was like, I actually probably wouldn't even like you, except for the fact that I've known you since you were eight. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not not sure that's a compliment or an insult. Thank you. (laughs) So there's Bill. Um, And... um, yeah, Lori Barr, she's my friend too. She went to school in New York City for a bunch of years. And she's an interior designer. And she was cool because she taught me like with when you're working with a space and an environment, like I'd be like, you're an interior designer. What do I do with this? And she was like, does it make you feel good? And I'm like, no. She's like, well, then don't put it in your house. <laughs> it's got to be a vibe basic (laughs) and uh yeah there was oh my gosh I don't know if I should go on and on but yeah there's some I count myself as very fortunate to still have some of the people that I grew up with in my life right yeah the second half of that question was how they've influenced you maybe in a in your career or just as yeah well I mean Lori she lived in New York for many years and so I was living in Ontario I went to school at Queen's University in Ontario 
And so I kind of like, I, I grew a love of that whole, like Ontario down through Vermont and into New York. I mean, it's just a beautiful part of the world. And I would go visit her and this is before I was doing music. And she was really tapped in to like the artistic community in New York because she was in design. And at that time I was mostly like, I would have classified myself as a visual artist because most of the work I was doing was uh, like graffiti and silk screening and stuff like that. But I was still, I was rapping like a lot. And so she actually, I would, I would give her, she sort of started my career. Nice. Because she took me to an event where there was a bunch of poets and I had no idea of the New Yorkian scene that was happening in New York at that time. And she took me to an event where it was an open mic and we were what, one of two fair faces in the whole room. So I was like shy already because it was all like, super cool, super fashionable New York, New York people. And I'm like, you know, I'm a bit of a dirt bag. Like I don't, I'm not fashionable really, I would say. And so can you come on? What's that? That's questionable. Well, I have my vibe, but like, I'm not, you know, so anyway, she took me to this event and at one point they were like, is anybody in the room want to get up on the mic? And Lori was like, you know, her like, And I was like, please don't do this to me. And, and, but it was special and it changed my life. Mm. It changed my life because I threw down uh, one of the poems. I don't remember what it was very quietly. Cause that was the first time I'd been on the mic just for poetry. So I was nervous and I was like, like yeah. could barely get my voice out. I had to shut my eyes, cover my eyes to get the nerves away. And, and then everybody was like so supportive and they gave me an, uh, like a big round of applause. So I went to get down there like, oh no, you're still on the mic. So I did another piece and they wouldn't let me off the mic. So I did a third piece and there was a bunch of people that had drums, like big djembes and shit. And they kicked down a fat beat for my third piece. Okay. And that was when I was like, for me, that was when like something crystallized for me where I was, cause I opened my eyes cause I had my eyes shut for the first two. So I opened my eyes and I could see the whole room was in. And that was when I was like, oh, I think I might be a poet, not a visual artist. And it changed for me. And everybody in that room, you know, there was like 15 people in that room that came up to me and was like, you need to keep doing what you're doing. That's and I was like, oh, but I'm a graphic artist. And they were like, no, no, no. Right. So let's <laughs> talk about that a little bit. And those two things that you're, you're kind of juggling right there is illustrations and poetry. You wrote yeah. a book. When yeah. was that? Back in 2008? Yeah, that's right. How I, how I learned to run, right? Yeah. So yeah. is that what you're referring to? Is that the same time frame? In the no, that was, I was already an established that I was already an established musical artist when I released that book. Okay. But the, the but that book was definitely um, an ex an exploration of putting de- putting words on a page that made sense visually, and uh, it's cool that you have that note in your yeah 
Yeah, that, that, that just kind of came out and then that, that publishing house folded because the crash in 2008. So that wow. book was like on the shelves and then it closed. Because I want to buy that book from you. I want, to, nice. I want a signed copy if I can get it. Sure. It, I think it exists sometimes on like trading platforms. You can buy it on Amazon. I already looked it up. Oh. So it's like, honestly, it's going for, I think, $6 right now. Right now. So yeah, like, it goes up and down. Six bucks is good. You should buy it for six bucks. Yeah, I want to buy it, but I want it autographed by Kenny okay. Scott. You know? Okay. Um, so let's let's step back a second then because I feel like we just fast forward a little bit. You were talking sure. about how you know how your friend has positively influenced your um interest and curiosity into yeah. the poet and uh into that yeah. music industry. So I'm gonna take a quote from an interview you did with the mix okay and that was a while back but you said you went from dumpster diving and graffiti to signing a major record deal that's correct <laughs> so tell us about that transition how did that occur how did you get this major record deal yeah um that yeah so i'm a bit of a dirt bag like i am cool with like living in at that time i was like you know oh, cool with living in a truck and shit mm. so um i yeah i was really doing a lot of prep cooking in restaurants because i don't i like to be alone so i would take like baking jobs and stuff that started me at like 4 a.m and i'm out by noon kind of thing and yeah, but I was still always doing, I was always, I was always practicing with, with rap. And like, I started to learn guitar so that I could like create a beat because I wasn't doing programming right at the very beginning of my career. I, I shifted into programming pretty quick. I got my first Ensonic ASRX and uh, started to, you know, get real with beat making. But originally I just used a, a guitar and like hit it and, used it like a bass meets a guitar meets a drum like a rhythmic tool like a primarily yeah. percussive tool yeah. and and at that time it was like I mean like I've had some people from the music industry explain that time which was sort of the mid to late 90s and say like at that time it was sort of fruit like like a lot of low-hanging fruit in the arts community a lot of uh talented artists that I don't know what it was, but it was before the internet and I was just doing something. I mean, I was merging like acoustic, like between the acoustic guitar and like a rap thing, but like more, more playful and fluid and political. And um, Denise Shepard, who I think she's still a music journalist. She changed my life. Because she wrote about me in, I'm not going to remember the name of the magazine, but she wrote about me somewhere and then kind of all eyes came on what I was doing. And it was, I think, interesting enough. Because it was like, I was merging all styles. I was like, you know, a punk song, then a folk song, then a rap song, then a and I was putting it all down kind of with this like little seam through it mm. that was distinctive enough. And, and so, yeah, I was hustled. I got, yeah, I got like flown around by all these different record levels and I didn't grow up playing music. I didn't grow up with instruments. So mm. I didn't even know what was going on. 
And so I didn't understand, like I understood it was good, but I didn't understand how good, right? right. Because like a lot of people grow up to have a record deal. And I was just like, I was like, right. hmm, maybe I'll do graffiti. Oh no, wait, hang on, I wanna rap. And then, oh, I have a record deal. Exactly. And so it was highly privileged wow. transition. I can, you tell know? You, I can tell you how good you were. This is referencing Wikipedia said that Clive Davis flew <laughs> all the way to be part of that record deal conversation. Yeah, he did. Major player in the music industry in North oh, yeah. America, across the world. I know. So that's a pretty big deal. And what was that like for you landing that record deal? Well, again, like when he flew in, like he flew in with like five henchmen. Whoa. Yeah. And I was, once again, I was a dirtbag. I was like living cheaply, just like, you know, growing food, not giving two shits about anything. And so I had these two managers that came from, one came from film and one came from fine arts, Linda Chinfen and Mandy Wheelwright. And they were the ones that were like, yo, like you need protection, mm. you need management, you need to take this thing somewhere else. And they were a little bit, you know, uh, they knew a little bit about fine art and film, but we didn't know who Clive Davis really was. We just had all these people coming in on us or flying us to places. And, and we just thought it was fun and funny and cool. Like, I didn't really think it was going to be something. Interesting. And then Clive Davis came in and he came in with his henchmen, but you know, he just felt like a grandpa to me. Mm. And so I thought he was really cool. And he took me out for me and my crew out for a dinner. And my managers were like, they were like, just so you know, this is Clive Davis. <laughs> and I was like, it's before the internet. Right. And I was like, I don't know who Clive Davis is, you know, and I've never paid attention to like the names on cassettes, like, right. I didn't know who he was, yeah. but they were like, they were like, he's flown him and all his people here. We're having dinner. What are you going to do about it? And I was like, Oh, yeah. I'll just do a poem at the restaurant. And so I just like stood up. What? Yeah. I just like stood up and I was like, hello, like this beautiful gentleman is here to, to um, come and meet me. And I don't have much time. So I'm just going to give him a poem here. Would you mind taking three minutes from your meal? And so I just did a poem in the restaurant, some fancy restaurant. That's so and I guess he really liked it. That's, that's very cool. Yeah. And once again, that's an example of synergy. Right. It's like um, taking the moment, figuring out how to make it something that feels true and real and going for it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot. This might be awkward for you, but I have a favorite okay. clip that I <laughs> want to show um, all of the viewers here on zoom. So I'm going to okay. share my screen real quick. Okay. Because I, this is like just surfing through your music. Yeah. Falling in love with some of your, your live performances. Thank this you. was one of my favorite ones that really got me. Like when I watched this, I was in awe. My mouth was open. If anybody was watching, <laughs> like close your mouth, Justin. This was just an epic performance. I think as an artist, I can relate to the challenges that might, you might run into when you're trying to interact with the crowd. 
Mm. Like this clip right here and the topic. So all I'm not going to go into the full video clip because you provided a huge amount of context in regards to why you made the song and the importance of it. So I'm going to show this little clip here and we're just going to vibe real quick. Touch the back of my legs, baby, just like an unknown secret from forgotten centuries. And flip me over, kiss my ankles, wrap your hands around them, tiny and fragile. This is where the ground pushes up into me, and if you sort there, you unlock creep reds and history. Now use your mouth, use curious hands, set groups and unslow, that's the master plan. Kiss it. Kiss it all around, kiss it all around before you go downtown. Kiss it, kiss it all around, kiss it all around before you go downtown. Kiss it. So sick. <laughs> Thanks, man. Love that. Yeah, I used Love to use that. guitar, like I would flip it around a lot and use it as a rhythmic tool or like push it through a delay pedal. So I would like, wow. Yeah, because I just was limited right right so it's like some people sharing. have they they have access to all tons of instruments maybe they're raised with tons of instruments i wasn't like that mm. so i really early on in my career and i still do it i keep my instruments sparse because i really believe that in the presence of limitations we are pushed to overcome wow right and i'm sure you know a lot of artists that are like like if if you have a lot of money behind your studio or whatever and you're just buying gear and you're buying gear and you're buying gear and then you're tracking and then you're buying gear and then you're tracking you have money and you're just doing it again and again and again and you never make anything right so that's an example of like using whatever you have and just being like yeah. oh i need a beat okay here's the beat sick <laughs> love it that yeah, was and ghetto. yo it's it's not even ghetto it's creative Thanks, it's man. Being innovative on the spot right Thanks. so um share with us a little bit just before we transition sure. um share with us a little bit um what goes into your process before a live performance like what's yeah. one of your favorite live performances and what went mm -hmm. into like go on going on stage is there any prep that kenny star does before she goes live uh, yeah, I have like some, I have some systems before I go on stage. I haven't been on stage a lot for a few years because I got injured. I was in a car accident and it kind of took me out of the game for a minute, which was great, actually. Like everything, it's like something seems like a bad thing, but it's not. Right. But, but prior to that, when I was uh, working a lot on stage, I always have to find a place alone, even if it's a washroom and people like are like ew it's a washroom i'm like i don't care because i need a place alone if there's uh you know a lot of some clubs don't have green rooms right. um and i have a series of little things i do where i pull once again it's probably going to sound flaky but you you might not think it's flaky but i yeah. feel like i pull i have um like words and practices where i pull the sky down through me a bunch of times and then i bring the earth up through me into the sky a bunch of times and i do it i spin slowly doing it bringing this the sky and our ancestors uh down through me and then bringing the the age 
of the earth and the plants and all the death and bones and roots and stuff up through me. So I go up and down and I kind of wash myself that way. And I spin very slowly and I do that transition um, until I feel like, until I feel like it's actually moving through me. Right. And once I feel like it's moving through me, then generally I can kind of click and get ready because I have a lot of fear before I go on stage. Mm. And that helps me a lot with fear. I can relate to that, like that anxiety leading up to a live performance, no matter how many stages you've been on it, you've been on, it never goes away. It's every single time. I know. know? So I definitely meditate as well. I think that's a form of meditation. So this is the perfect transition. Um, please ask me if you want any context um, leading sure. into this question um, is like, when did you figure out, um, learn about your identity mm. and who you are as a human? Like, when did that start yeah. to play a role for you in your life? Yeah, um, I would say I still, I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my mom showed me um a report card from when I was eight. So I would have been in grade three and I was fascinated. I actually tried to dig it up for this interview because I know you talk about like some real stuff, but I couldn't find it. But um, that teacher talks about how interested I am in like foreign affairs. Mm. Like I'm, I guess even at eight, I was like asking about like other parts of the world and I was very, she, the words at the time were like, Kenny is very interested in Indian, um, Indian history. Hmm. Cause that's the words at the time. Right. And I guess now they would say indigenous history, but right. so as a really young girl, I think I was already like wondering what the world was about. Now, fast forward as an adult, I still feel like, I mean, I just feel like there's a lot to learn. And the more, especially with the internet allows me to study history in a way that I've never really been able to study history. And so I just, I really hope I understand. (laughs) I really hope I understand more by the time I'm old Mm. because the stage I'm at in my life, because I've been on, I've been on performing for 25 years and with performance, it's like, you're always trying to present the best side of yourself. Right. And I feel like that has given me a sense of fraudulence that is difficult to shake because the music industry demands that we put a side of ourselves forward always the same way even fans will be like i liked this when you did that so do it again and i feel like that has um i think it 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 gives it gives me a a, well it it makes me want to leave the industry wow but i can't do that because i love songwriting and i love mentoring and I think there's a lot of important artists out there and I want to be a part of their lives and I want to be a part of art but that side of the music industry which puts 
you, we, you know, it's like the, put, put, you only put your good, your prettiest yeah, pictures exactly. forward. Only see all the good side of things That's and right. never the real side of things. All the That's hustle, right. the grit, the lows, the challenges, the struggles, the haters, the crabs, yeah. everything that comes yeah. along with yeah. what you see on the front at, on a live show. Yeah. And that part of it, I think creates real, for me, it creates a sense of like, I don't know. It's like a, a constant confusion because if you do put your more, um, even if like th there's this push where we're always supposed to be positive. Right. And it's like, well, how, how is that real? It's not. And that messes with my identity because I'm like, mm. no, I'm a very super sensitive and, um, and compassionate, uh, person, but I'm also a bitch. Sure. And I don't fucking, I don't want to have to pretend like I'm some fucking saint just because someone likes my records. Mm. Right. So, exactly. so yeah, I feel like identity is something I'm still really like working on. And I, nowadays in my life, I try to stay around people who, who are invested in my wellness nice and they're not invested in trying to shake my sense of identity they're invested in just accepting me as i am and i don't know maybe someday i'll figure something out but i honestly feel like it's a it's a day-to-day -day trying to learn because i feel like i feel like the immediacy of the internet puts present day news as primary mm. but for me i understand i feel like history is way more relevant than today's news well said well said oh. i really appreciate that you know what i had two reflections when you were sharing the first okay. one was i re i forget where i came across it but the first one was about um, happiness happens to you. You can't mm. expect happiness to happen all the time. That's unrealistic. Yeah. No, it's not. in your day to day that you come across that you will feel happy that something happens and right. you're happy as a result. Uh -huh. so the expectation of happiness, I think, is skewed. And I think exactly. you're making a great point at bringing that up. So, look, Kenny, I love this conversation. I don't want it to end. Um, we're already reaching an hour. I don't, I don't, there's no limitations to where we're at. Wow. If, you, if you want to keep going, because I wanted to touch a little bit about the uh, documentary because you're also, you also executive produced it. Yeah. And I think, you know, highlighting some of your multifacets is very sure. important in regards to people just thinking you're an artist. You're also, yeah. an actor, you're an executive producer and you know, you're so creative with your craft that I think it shows in, in your personality. Your personality is so cool. And I think Thanks. it's really worth highlighting some of these colors mm. that Kimbar has and executive producing and the, the content of that documentary mm. called Play Your Gender oh, is yeah. so relevant. It's so relevant. And that was in 2014, right? And 2016. 16, okay. Yep. And, and so I, started, I started researching it in 2012. Wow. Yeah, so that was a five-year project. Wow. So and the, 
great point right there. So elaborate, please. Yeah, like um, it's cool that you bring that up actually before we go because that film, um, yeah, that film, the startup of that film was that someone approached me and asked me if, if uh, a Kinney Star documentary had ever been made. And I was like, no, and I will not be a part of that. Wow, okay. <laughs> because like who wants cameras around them for years and years like so maybe some people do but i don't mm. i don't like cameras respect right so um i turned it around and i said i'd rather study society than myself wow so that was the beginning that team changed um there was a bunch of things i'm legally bound to not disclose the re all of the reasons but the team changed the focus changed. Sahar Yousefi and Stephanie Clattenburg came on board. And yeah, we just really wanted to look at um, gender inequity in authorship and production. Exactly. Right? Because when you produce a project, you take it from its, its idea. And I mean, there's a lot of ways producers function, but uh, I think the best way of, of thinking about a producer is Someone who can take, take an idea, like this is my idea and I'm gonna make it into a film. Right. That's a producer. Mm. Or in, in the case, I'm listed as an executive producer, but I was you know, at the point of origin, the original concept and we expanded it. And I think it's an important concept because women, um, we don't generally aren't given enough. Uh, There's uh, gaps. I can fill this this in right now. I can drop yeah. some facts on the people. Thank you. And maybe you can close it up. So sure. just so just some facts. So 20% of songs written are by women. 20%. Yeah. So that means 80% are occupied by men. That's 5% of women. This this was a, astonishing to find this out. Yes. Um, 25 per, or 5% of music producers and sound engineers are women. Yeah. Five. Yeah, and, and it's actually closer to three. Oh my god! Yeah, that's ridiculous. That was one of the reasons why I reached out to you was yeah. because I was looking for producers that are female so I can make this matriarch album. And yeah. like my journey in trying to find a female producer just to throw me a beat, like yeah, it's so difficult, you know. So know. that's a crazy fact. Correct me on the details of this one. So up to 2014, uh -huh. this is crazy. No female has won producer of the year. Yeah. Is that still a fact in 2020? Do you know? You know what? I don't know what the stats are, but they're so, they're so traumatic. Like when you really like let it sink in, you're like, oh no, like we have to change this. Exactly. Yeah. I got two more. Okay. 15% of record labels are owned by women. Right. Still very low. Five, very low. That's the very economics low. in the game. That's uh -huh. the business in the game. And uh -huh. women are only getting a 15% share. That's, yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, this is where I think we can really start to elaborate and get your, your perspective is sure. there's a thing called blind auditions. Yes. So what that means is they, um, the people who are asking for an audition, they don't see who's auditioning. Yeah. As a result, 50% more women are hired during blind auditions. Yeah. So those facts we just ran down clearly are skewed 
when it yeah. comes to talent capacity. That's right. Like it's a 50, 50 split. Yeah. So that documentary was a, like, it was eye opening. It was mind blowing. And it was so, I think it's still relevant today in 2020. It, it is because it's not really changing. There are women out there doing amazing work, but it's not changing fast enough. And I also want to say, I really appreciate you watching that because definitely when we were putting that together, we were like, we had some lines in on some very powerful men in Canadian hip hop that were, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm making a documentary. Do you want to talk to me? They were all like, yes, yes, yes. When they went, when, when our team went to pre-interview them before they were like, Oh, this is a feminist documentary. I'm out. Damn. We lost like five guys. Forget those guys. I know, but I was like, but I was like men listen to men. So if you really want to change things, you have to have men talking about women's issues in the same way you need white people talking about indigenous issues, you know, like there's people in power who have to be talking about these issues. So for me, that was so, I was so depressed to hear that they just would bail like that. And so I'm so happy that you watched that documentary. 100%. I watched it. And like, for me, that's what I want my next album project. I want it to be produced by women. I want it to feature women. I want to have like a full women cast if I can. Well, count me in. Yo, let's, I was going to say. Oh oh yeah, count me in. On the side, like we should really explore it, especially the fact that you got experience on doing a documentary. I think even documenting that process of talking about and women leadership and having it all run and organized by women would be great Hmm. great so what so what can men do to support women in the music industry do you have any you can listen listen Mm. to us listen full stop that's all listen (laughs) straight up yes like, because how many times has a woman been talking and some somebody jumps in on them and a man will say well that happens to me too. And it's like, we need to acknowledge our differences here. 100%. I understand you get interrupted. But if you would were to acknowledge our differences, you would ask me, what's that like for you? And then I would tell you, and then we would have communication. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but if you're just like, oh, no, that happens to me too. Then it's like, how are we supposed to talk about anything? Yeah, Your life is not my life. Straight up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's how we'll wrap it up. Okay, man, there's there's so many ways I wanted to wrap this up, Kenny, because we didn't even talk about the recent track that you were featured on with Amanda Rayom. Oh yeah, uh, Amanda like, Rayom. Was... Give me on the best, yeah. yeah, she's so great. So good. Yeah, she's so, so if, you, if if anybody's listening, you haven't checked it out. There's the visual available on YouTube. Go check mm-hmm. out the best by Amanda Rayom featuring Kenny Star amazing record so shout out to amanda for what she's doing in the game too so i wanted to close with this question what advice would you give an aspiring young person trying to get into the art and entertainment industry so i'll also phrase it in this way like what would you tell yourself when you let's say 10 15 years ago maybe 20 years ago what would you tell yourself now based on what you know today so what would that advice kind of be to the future generations Well, I always, I mean, it's a different world right now because of 
the online push and everything in COVID and we don't know what the future is going to look like. But even before that, the internet was like really up in our faces. But I always say, because I, I work with young people a lot and emerging artists and they always ask me like, how do I do this? And I always say the same thing that I was told when I was starting, which is you do it. Mm. You just have to do it. Facts. There's, there's, there's no answers. You got to work hard. <laughs> I love that. You know what? And I'm going to reiterate something when you say that. Mm-hmm. Our last episode with, uh, with Justin. Yeah, that was great. His advice was very much similar. It's just, oh. to, just to fucking do it. Yeah. Just go out there and get it don't done. Don't look for the, don't look for the corner, like the shorthand, the lazy man's way to do it. Do it and do it so well that people make yourself indispensable. Bars. Right? Bars. <laughs> Yeah, I love this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. The vibes are good. Um, And listen, congratulations to everything that you've already accomplished. Um, Big things. So ladies and gentlemen, you just heard it. Episode two, No Blueprint featuring the Kenny Star. Tune in next week and we will see y'all later. Thank you again, Kenny Star. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bless. Bless.